Who's ready for the Word of God? Who's ready to hear His Word? Yeah, we're going to get excited. Is there an expectation? Is your expectation levels, Kathy, are they rising to hear God's Word? See, we're going to hear somebody this morning that he was a, a, he modeled godliness to me as a youngster, okay? He modeled godliness to me as a youngster. So everything that I kind of am, Mike was one of those. Mike, you did that. There he is, that big smiley face. But Paul was also one of those in, in, in the youth group growing up who modeled godliness. You know, that's important as a youngster, looking up to somebody that you think, hey, there's something different about you. Not just godliness, there's some, certainly something different about you. <laughs> it's your turn in a minute, all right? But in, in seriousness, you modeled godliness. And, 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 and so this morning, it's to encourage you to say, hey, who are you modeling godliness to? To the young people, to the youngsters. Because some of the things that you said to me growing up, I haven't forgotten them, even though it was 20, 30 years ago. So Paul came to our church as a, as a uni student to study, um, art. that's the one, architecture. And then he's now running two churches in Northampton, yeah? So, but they're down with Kate and Louise on holiday, and Naomi's coming tomorrow. And it's always great to have them amongst us, isn't it? That this guy is for the kingdom. You're, the king, you're a kingdom man, okay? And a lot of us that remember him, he actually looks younger now than he does when he was here, doesn't he? He, I, I start calling him Benjamin Button. Anyone know who Benjamin Button is? He, he's younger now, Margaret, than what we, he was when he was here. But the one good thing to come from COVID, well, there's lots of things. You've got to look for the positives, haven't you? And COVID was not a nice time. But I want to tell you, one, one of the positives through COVID was that we hooked up through Zoom, wasn't it? And now he can't get rid of me. <laughs> He wishes he could delete his Zoom, because now I'm always pestering and say, hey, what do you think about it? And it's good to bounce off stuff, especially in the position of leadership, because I can get it from this guy here, and we love each other. But sometimes it's good to see it and hear it from outside of a church, say, hey, what's God, what's God actually saying? What's God doing? And that's why I'm excited to hear what God's got to say to his church, because this guy, Paul, he loves this place, and we love you. We love you. So let's welcome Paul and his family to come and deliver God's word to us this morning. Amen? Amen. Right, going. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether you'd muted me or... Well, thank you for that welcome, Dan. Um, uh, you can let me know how much I owe you. For that, yeah, I mean, it was pretty. Yeah, that's what he told me the other day. He said uh, he's, he's promised me lunch, but he said I've got to earn it. <laughs> it's really great, honestly. It's really great to be here, and uh, both myself and my family, we love to come down here because we're all part of God's family, and um, don't we see each other that often? We'd like to see probably more of each other. Well, hopefully. Um, you'd feel that way. Um, but yeah, it's really great to, to be here. And actually, it's a two-way street for, for Dan and myself, I have to say. He's as, as much an encouragement uh, to me as I hope I am to him. 
And uh, yeah, we have some, just some good times together. We'll chat away a good hour, hour and a half on Zoom at times and just share what's going on in our lives, share what's going on in the church. Um, not, not gossip, <laughs> but so we can pray. And we, we always um, finish just by praying for each other and praying for the church and praying for situations um, because prayer is so critical um, for us. And I, I just wanted to... We're going to roam around a little bit this morning, but there was a verse of scripture which um, I've been living with for a good few weeks now, and uh, I've been working my way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, just um, sometimes when I go through scripture, I'll, I'll read through quite rapidly, and other times I'm going really slowly. And it's just there are different paces at which you can read scripture, and that's actually fine because sometimes what we're doing is really taking a long time and chewing something over. Other times it's like we are just immersing ourselves in it in a way which we're just rattling through. But this, this scripture, and I kept, so that I kept picking up my Bible to kind of move on from it and found myself rereading it and living with it. And it's just this verse in Luke 18 and verse 1. And uh, what Luke records to us here, okay, is this. And he told them a parable, Jesus Spoke a lot in parables, as you know, parables are stories that make a point. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, we've been doing a series. I run a, um, a church called New Life Church, Northampton. Uh, there's two congregations and we've just been doing a little mini-series on the subject of the heart, because what you discover, um, if you've been a Christian any length of time, is that Christianity, and in fact, even the entry point in, actually, to Christianity, is it's a matter of the heart. And that doesn't mean it's just purely an emotional thing, okay? Because I think sometimes, as guys, we, we run a little bit scared of that. But actually, the Jews understood that the heart wasn't just about emotion. We tend to think in our Western world of the heart of being sort of that slightly romantic part of us. Those it, it conjures up ideas about, you know, having affections for someone perhaps. We love them with our heart, etc. And, and that, that's what we think. We think the heart is a, a purely about the emotions. But to the Jewish mindset, it was more than that. In fact, the heart was the seat of you as a person. And it's actually they understood that this is where the thinking took place, as well as the emotion, and also desires and choices. So the heart was far more than just the seat of emotions. It was the seat of you. It's you. So when the Bible is talking about the heart, it's talking about the very whole of you, the way you think, the way you feel, because emotions are important, okay, and the way in which out of that will spring desires and choices. So we've been doing a bit of a series on that, and I came to this verse uh, just in my daily reading, um, and, and that we, Jesus teaching, saying that we ought, or they, speaking to his disciples, ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, actually, if we just dwell just for a few moments on a verse like that, we can immediately sort of think to ourselves, well, why was Jesus doing here? Well, he is, uh, I think, very specifically 
saying, well, why is he saying these words? Precisely because our tendency is to lose heart. Why would Jesus say we ought not to lose heart, or we ought always to pray and not lose heart, precisely because we tend to lose heart and therefore we stop praying? So he's driving at something, saying, you ought not to, you, you know, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he's saying, you know, you, you're going to need this word, okay? Because in life, you'll find that discouragements will come such that, that you will want to give up on prayer because you're going to lose heart, actually. Your emotions will take something of a battering. Your thought life sometimes can be in a mess And actually, the decision of the heart is, I'm giving up on this prayer, malarkey, because it doesn't seem to work, okay? So the heart is a massive issue for us. And I I just want to bring to you uh, a word prophetically. This is what I believe God is wanting to do. He's certainly been doing it um, uh, with us in Northampton uh, and I just feel to, to bring it to you. We got kind of partway through our series, Preaching. And um, I was leading on a particular uh, morning a few uh, weeks back uh, at our town center site. And it was one of those mornings where the Holy Spirit just seemed to move in, uh, take over in terms of the worship. There was just an incredible atmosphere of the presence of God. You know when God is heavy on a place. I believe God's always with us, right? But he comes heavy on a place, okay? I I don't really have a theology for it, but anyway, he comes, but he he sort of comes to us in a way where it's like, it's like, oh, everybody just stand back a moment. Let's not rush. God's here. And what I sensed, uh, we we went through the morning and, and just the spirit of God began to move. People were getting prayed for, all sorts of things started to happen. And we never got to the preach. It just didn't happen that, that morning. And I, I, when you're leading in those kind of moments, you're often thinking to yourself, what do I do? <laughs> what, do, I do? what do I do now? Yeah, it feels like that. It's kind of quite a pressured position sometimes. You're thinking, I just need uh, the wisdom of God here. What do you want to do, Lord? And, uh, and God just seemed to move through and, and really work on people. And what afterwards, on reflection... Felt God speak to me. We were partway through this series on the heart, and he said, this morning was all about open-heart surgery. It was all about open-heart, that God wanted to move in and deal with our hearts. And it was like we got partway through, and the Holy Spirit couldn't wait till the end of the... He's like, let's just stand aside. We're coming in. The Holy Spirit wants to come in and do something with our hearts. And just to give you a bit more context to, to this, okay... Um, the, the Jewish people, um, they would pray a prayer which is known as the Shema. And uh, it's recorded in, in Deuteronomy. So it's part of the uh, law that was received, that Moses received from, uh, from God himself. And it's part of an instruction to them. And it simply says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So all of you, everything, all in. And there is something about this uh, walk that we have with God that we call Christianity, 
uh, whatever word you want to put to it, that is simply this, that God is interested in the human heart such that he desires all of its affection, not, not just a part of it. He's interested in wholeheartedness. He's not interested in half-heartedness, nor is he interested in cold-heartedness. God is interested in the whole heart. And the Old Testament is a story about God's love affair with his people, where he so loves people that he wants them to enter into a relationship with him such they love him with all his heart. Because that's what he desires. He's a God who, who wants to consume us. He's not interested in half-heartedness. And the problem, and that what the story tells us is, um, is this, that people are, half, uh, are hard-hearted. They are cold-hearted. They tend to be half-hearted. They tend to lose heart all too easily. That's part of the human condition. And so actually we see the language of the New Testament is such that where um, Paul describes uh, baptism as the circumcision of the heart. It's like a sign. In other words, and within that picture, we don't have time to do all of that this morning. It's not even on my notes. But, but circumcision was, obviously, that was a physical sign to the Jewish people. So every male was circumcised on the eighth day. And that cutting away of the foreskin was all about you are God's people. You belong to him. Marked out, okay? Set apart, and there's a cutting away of flesh. But God, even back in the Old Testament, was saying, but actually it's about a circumcision of the heart, that there is something deeper, something more profound that has to happen to us as human beings. That God has to perform a profound operation that cuts away the hard-heartedness that we have, this tendency within our humanity to want to do it our way, to live uh, um, for our, selfish, uh, our own selfish ends rather than be wholehearted towards God. We are um, half-hearted at best and going in the other direction. And so when we come to... Uh, a subject like this about the subject of the heart, God is wanting to deal with us in our hearts. And he knows that there's a healing that needs to take place there. And it's why, in fact, when we see Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, he quotes from Isaiah 61. And I'll read it to you from there just precisely because it mentions the brokenhearted. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of, prison, of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. That's Isaiah 61, verses uh, 1 and 2. So, God's intention, God's heart was, and Jesus coming from heaven to earth, is precisely because he needs to bind up the brokenhearted. He needs to deal with our hearts. He needs to get in there and, uh, uh, and bring a healing. Now, sometimes we can tend to think, oh, well, this is the language of pre-Christian. You know, but, so before we come to faith, before we know Jesus... We're hard, we're hard of heart, and God's got to come in, and it's got to do that work. Hence, you know, we think about baptism, and uh, you know, we think about that as the mark of the new covenant, where there's a cutting away, a circumcision 
of the heart. But actually, I believe that God profoundly has to continue to work on our hearts. Precisely because this scripture here tells us Jesus is speaking to his disciples and saying that they too are going to have, there's going to be a temptation to lose heart. And sure enough for them, this is just pre the cross and they're going to lose heart. Because they're going to face the greatest challenge yet for, for them. They, they pinned their hopes, and I think it's really important to understand that, as, Jewish, uh, as a Jewish race, they'd pin their hopes on this man. Ah, this is the one who's going to bring the kingdom. He's going to deliver us. We'll finally be shot on the Romans. We're finally going to know the glory and the presence of God such as it should be. You know, everything restored, everything just as it should be, the world the right way up. And they pinned all their hopes onto Jesus. Jesus knows this and he says, you're always to pray and not lose heart. Because the day is coming where you will want to give up on this. You won't want to pray anymore for the kingdom because your hope has been deferred. Your hope, as it were, has been crushed and, and nailed to a cross. And therefore, so how do we pray now? How do I pray when my dreams are nailed to a cross? How on earth can I possibly hope again? How can I have any faith? How can I pray if my hopes have died? And I think for us as Christians, in many different ways, we will, we will face that. Not in quite the same way. Obviously, Jesus has died once, resurrected, and we believe for his return but there's an ongoing battle that we will face as human beings, which is that suffering comes and setbacks and all manner of things that will cause hope to be crushed and deferred such that we will want to give up. We will lose heart. Where once our hearts were on fire for Jesus, I'm like, yes. And I used to, I was quite a zealous young man. Dan alluded to it. So when I was here uh, in my early 20s, you know, just on fire for God, and, you know, nothing's going to stop us. We're just going to take the world for Jesus. I mean, I felt like that. You know, it's like you, you sort of feel somewhat invincible, and you just believe God for extraordinary things. And I remember conversations uh, sometimes with older guys that would run something along the lines of, well, you're young. You know, it would usually start that, well, you're young, aren't you? You're young, you'll soon learn. There, there. It's just like a metaphorical pat on the head. There, there. And it, because they're saying, you wait till you've had a bit of experience and you've got a few years under your belt and a few disappointments, then the cynicism sets in. <laughs> Properly, didn't it, Rob? I mean, by the time you're Rob's age, <laughs> you can barely believe for dinner, let alone anything else, right? That's how we feel. You know, so life is going to dish out disappointment to you, and the way to deal with that is to harden your heart, get cynical, and give up on it all. Maybe do a bit of church attendance just to show willing. And so I thought to myself, no, because I'm quite stubborn like that. I thought, so why should I succumb to that? Why, what is driving that? Disappointment. Things that which, which, which crush our hopes uh, and dreams. And I get it. I understand that these things happen. They will happen. So we've got to find a way to deal with it. How, how can I be, as Paul encourages us to be in Romans 12, never lacking in zeal? 
for serving the Lord your God. I was zealous then. I'm still zealous now. And I tell you this, I believe it's entirely possible to be increasingly zealous. But you have to put your whole heart into it. You have to put your whole heart into it. And you can allow other affections and other things. So along with the disappointment, what the enemy will do is he'll bring the distractions to the heart to steal your heart away from affection towards God and onto something else. Whatever that may be. Okay, It's going to look different for, uh, for, for each one of us. You know, there will be different things that will come in and try and take away the affections of our heart. So um, I've mentioned a few things, but I think you know, one of the reasons why we give up praying is because of delay. <laughs> the, 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 we lose heart because of delay. There's either no answer, no result, no change. And the conclusion off the back of that has to be one of two things. We would tend to think. Either God has failed, right? Either God has failed or I have. I was, um, we're, some time back, we were praying for someone um, uh, in, uh, in our congregation who sadly passed away with cancer. And I remember a conversation with one of the ladies that said, if only we'd prayed more. If only we'd prayed more. We failed. We didn't have enough faith. We didn't pray enough. We should have had Rob with us. He would have sorted it out. I don't, I don't believe that for a minute. No. I do not believe that. No. I don't understand why. Let's just be clear. One of the things we do not get is an easy answer to suffering, death, and loss in this life. Church, let's be absolutely realistic. We, all of us, perfect statistic, one out of one people die apart from Jesus. He was the one who who spoke the trend, right? But the promise is that we also will be resurrected. So we have that hope and we look to Jesus for that. But in this life, we will have suffering. We will know death and sorrow and loss. And it's going to cause you to lose heart. It's going to cause you to get cynical or bitter because you'll conclude that either God has failed, he isn't big enough, strong enough, or he's not listening, he doesn't care. Those things, those kinds of thoughts or trains of thought are actually lies. They're not the truth. But it's, our emotion is so strong that, that we are so uh, saddened by grief that it can pollute the way we think about something. It can, it, can, it can mess with our mind. And even when we, you know, we, we get these things sometimes that actually we can confess one thing with our mouth to be true and yet in our heart believe something else. I've done that. <laughs> I've definitely done that. Why? Because my heart is, I, I don't know it. <laughs> I don't know it as well as I ought and that's why when you know, we need to adopt David's prayer, search me, Lord, test me, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. See if there are any thought patterns, ways, any emotions, any things that have crept in there which actually aren't of you and therefore actually uh, taking me away. They're leading my heart astray. This is all part of David's prayer um, after he'd fell, fallen and uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. Why? Because he didn't know his heart. His heart had led him astray, and he'd made decisions out of the back of that that were really bad news. 
So we have those, uh, 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 so it's either God has failed or I've failed. We have uh, negative emotions associated with this. We can have disappointment, anger, frustration. And we get bitter and cynical. And all of this leads us into that place of unbelief. God can't, God won't, God doesn't care, uh, God doesn't exist even, or I'm not quite good enough, I don't make the grade, I'm, you know, my prayers aren't powerful enough, I haven't fasted enough this week. Whatever it is that we, we tend to put it down to, we try and find a reason, well there must be a reason why there's a delay or prayer is unanswered. And I think here, um, what we'll do is we'll just read the parable, okay? So if you've still got it open at Luke 18, this is the parable, this is the story that Jesus tells. And like a lot of the stories Jesus tells, what we need to understand is it's a really exaggerated story. It's massively exaggerated. We'll come to that and explain it a little bit. So in verse 2, we'll pick it up there. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge. Okay, judges are meant to be good people, they're meant to be just Moral, upright, uh, and making sure the law is carried out. But this judge is different. It says, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. In some translations, it has uh, cares for uh, people. And there was a widow. So that's the judge. And there was a widow, verse 3, in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice. Against my adversary, for a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The literal translation there is, give me a black eye, actually. It's just quite funny. Um, And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So here's this kind of pithy little parable. And uh, we've got these two characters, the judge and we've got uh, the widow. It's a crooked, he's a crooked, basically, judge. He's not a good judge. He's a very, uh, you know, immoral person. And we've got, set against that, a persistent widow. Now, one of the things we would need to understand, and it's helpful to understand, is that, again, the Jewish uh, people understood through, again, through their law and tradition, was that there were two particularly important categories of people for which they uh, were told explicitly by God that they had to take care of, namely widows and orphans, right? You must look after your widows and orphans. And I'll just give you a very, very quick example, just so that you know I'm not making it up, but this is Exodus uh, 22, and just a couple of verses, 22 to 24 of this chapter. He says this, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. 
God doesn't mess about, does he? <laughs> it's a serious bit. Why? Because he cares. God so loves the weak and the vulnerable. He recognizes, see, if you're a widow, you, there's no welfare state, okay? It was only your family that could support you. And if you're a, a widow, certain circumstances, you may have very little. Depends on what family you've got remaining. And you are vulnerable. You're living hand to mouth. And it was the job of a, uh, a just and righteous society to look after that widow, to make sure she was protected. Same with the orphan. And God's heart is paying close attention. He says, I'm watching you because you better treat this one well. Because my heart towards them is such as the justice of God. Okay? Now, sometimes we think of justice as a very negative word sometimes. We think the judge. God, the, ju- the, you know, the judge has a, has a bit of kind of like, you know, so we would, it has a negative connotation sometimes about our language. We talk about being judgmental, don't we? So we can tend to think of it negatively, but this is good. And it's good because we want justice. I mean, our newspapers are full of people who want justice. You, you just go pick one up and you will see, like we've just had another disaster um, in the Med, I think it was, with some, some people drowned. And people are crying out for justice. People are saying, this is wrong. How can this be happening? Now, in this day and age, how is this possible? In the 21st century, that people can die in this manner. What is going on? And people are, are crying out. They look for justice in this world and find it scarce. We want justice. And God is a God of justice. He cares about every single one of those lives that's just been lost. He knows them. God's not sitting dispassionately by, oh, well, they had it coming to them. They should never, they should have just stayed where they are. They should have carried on in their own country. You have no idea what it was like in their country. The war, the, the, the economic hardship. We sit here in the comfortable West. Now, I don't want to start making political statements, right? But it's highly charged. The thing is, God is a God of justice. He looks upon the world and he says, where's the justice? Believe you and me, the wrath of God, the anger, the righteous anger of God burns against such atrocities. It does. It says you should be caring. You should be looking out for the needs of others. That's kingdom. That's a kingdom. Justice is a kingdom principle through and through. Believe me, when God comes to the face of the earth, he comes with justice. To right wrongs. To make it. And, and, and if that wasn't the case, then when we die, it's all meaningless. There is no justice. It isn't fair. That's what my mum used to say to me all the time when I was going up. It's not fair, mum. Life's not fair, Paul. So she used to say to me, <laughs> you're laughing because you had the same said to you. It's not fair. Yeah, no, life's not fair. It's like that. It's just not fair. Is that what we said to you, Louise? I'm sure we did. Life's not fair. It's just not fair. But God says there will be fairness. There will be justice. And he sees all of that and he marks it. <laughs> okay. Now, thankfully for us, we, we won't expound too much just going towards the cross here, but actually, we all deserve the wrath of God, but God delivers us from it by his grace through the cross, okay? Christ has gone to that cross to pay 
for all of our injustices, right? And for all the injustice of the entire world. Okay, that is the theology of Scripture. So, this widow cries out, and the judge relents, okay? Reluctantly. So he's a reluctant judge. He, he, he's like, oh, I suppose because she keeps coming and because she is pestering me and she is never going to leave me alone and potentially brings my own reputation into disrepute, I had better do something about this woman and get her off my back. That is essentially the heart of this judge. And so what Jesus is putting into sharp contrast here is this. He's saying to a group of Jews, there's a judge who's got no regard for a widow. That is massive no-no, okay? So they're like, you're already hot under the collars. You do want this judge should know better than that. He should be, you know, down, you know, what is going on with this judge? How did he get to be a judge? So he's exaggerating a point. He's saying, look, this is the unjust judge. The widow does cry out. Eventually he relents, not for the right reasons, but he does so. And she gets justice. How much more, and this is the point, this is what Jesus is saying. Therefore, how much more is God, your Father in heaven, a God of justice? And will he not respond when we cry out to him? I tell you, he will. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Saying, this is your Father in heaven. This is what he is like. Therefore, don't lose heart. If it's delayed, if justice seems delayed, if, if nothing's happening quickly, if it seems like, well, this has happened in my life and I've had suffering and I've had difficulty and this person you know, died tragically or I you know, lost my job last week or I, you know, th- things have not gone well. Let me tell you the truth. Bad stuff happens to good people, church. And we, we cannot walk around with a sense of just entitlement that says, well, it can't happen to me because I've got my shield of faith and therefore it's like a super shield which just deflects all bad things and nothing terrible can ever happen to me. Well, it does. Of course it does. It does. Yeah. Church, it does. But we ought not to lose heart because there's a just judge. There's one who sees the injustices of this life, and he cares deeply about them. And in this life, sometimes we get answers and that seemingly, and then other times, seemingly, we don't. But, we, but this truth I know, he's just. He's good. He's ultimately good. So good, more good than we can possibly imagine. And this side of our grave, or this side of the return of Christ, we don't really see that so clearly. But we cling to that. We hold to this, and I believe it is possible for our heart to so be touched by God that we know it's true, because we've met him. Because we've met him, haven't we, Terry? We've met him. I've come face to face with him. I know what he's like. He is a good and just God. So God, and I'm going to start to uh, bring us into land, but I just wanted to uh, turn us to a scripture to help us do this. This is Romans 5. Romans is such a great book. It's, it's full of uh, the gospel. It's just the gospel, Paul's gospel. <laughs> As he writes, it's obviously the gospel of Jesus. It's not Paul's at all, but it was revealed to him. And uh, in Romans 5, we get this amazing 
a few verses here. We're just going to read the first five verses. Therefore, since we have been justified, notice that word, okay, because we're talking about how does... How on earth do we get right with God, given our injustices and things we've done wrong? We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. Hallelujah. Through him, uh, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And that's the grace of the cross. It's the grace of the love of God that actually, and the forgiveness of God. So we have access to such a grace that God's forgiveness and love envelops us. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, so the heart is lifted up. The heart actually has this hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is the presence. It's the very presence of God. That's the glory of God. So our hope is his presence. Our hope is his glory, that we stand in his glory. And I'm not just talking about when Jesus returns or when you die and go to be with him. It's here, it's now. Paul is talking present tense. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And this is the rub. We rejoice in our Hang on a second, Paul. We were doing so well until we got to verse 3, weren't we? Well, we were doing so well, and then you went and blew it all because you started talking about sufferings. But I want you to notice of what I would refer to here as a virtuous circle, right? Now, it doesn't seem like a virtuous circle when we start off, but it starts with suffering. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. How come so poor? How is that ever possible? Well, listen, he says this, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Don't lose heart. Don't, lose, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't allow your heart to become hardened. Don't become half-hearted in serving and following Jesus. So this is the beginning of it. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and then get this, and endurance produces character. Hallelujah. Who wants a great character like me? Who, I mean, come on. That was a joke. Yeah, so we, we would love to shortcut this, wouldn't we? Say, I want all of the godly character, but I don't fancy... Suffering, definitely don't fancy suffering. Endurance, not keen, really. Perseverance, it's hard, work. it's hard work, isn't it? We don't want suffering and endurance. We just want good character. Just download me good character, God. I'll move on. Just, you know, just make it all available. Switch the, switch the switch on and I'll be good. No, he says it comes through suffering. Patient endurance. And he says, and character produces hope. See, it's a virtuous circle. Hope suddenly reemerges. Where hope had gone, where the lights had gone out, suddenly it comes back on. Why? Because your character has clapped eyes on Jesus. (laughs) And there's hope. Because the one who comes back from the grave gives me hope. If he conquered the grave, if he was able to endure, let's just look at him. He, He suffered, endured rose again in his godliness, in his character, and now dwells in eternal hope. He dwells in the glory of the presence of his Father, and he is the model to us as all Christians. He says, follow me. In this life, you will have trouble. 
But I've overcome the world. He says, have hope. We can have hope because he's overcome. Hope does not put us to shame. Okay? So we're not going to be embarrassed at the end of our lives and think, well, what was all that for? I suffered so much. What was it for? It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out. And, and I want us to really hear this because this is where we come back to the heart. Because God's love has been poured out or has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the way that God works with the human heart, and we come back here, is this. He knows that our hearts, we tend to lose heart. He knows what we're like. He knows the frailty of our frame, okay, of our very being. He says, but I'm going to take that heart and I'm going to pour my love, all of it, I'm just going to pour my love into you. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to impart such love that will overwhelm, overtake you. It is love that ultimately makes the difference to us. It is knowing deep within your innermost being. See, it's one thing to know God loves you. Okay? I know that God loves me. Who knows God loves you? You know God loves We all know God loves us, right? It's, it's, it's another thing to know that God is loving you. Okay? So he's in the action of loving you. He's in the action of loving you. Love is felt. Love is real. It's what changes your heart. It's what takes you from hardened, cynical, bitter Christian. And I'm using Christian. I'm not using, I'm not saying this. You know, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're the ones who are going to lose heart. He said, when we become disheartened, when hope is gone, he said, then love must come. Then the Holy Spirit, what happens, you know, after the cross, what happens after the cross? Day of Pentecost. What happens on the day of Pentecost? Holy Spirit gets poured out. What happens when the Holy Spirit gets poured out? Your heart gets full of love. Suddenly, and suddenly this hope emerges. Suddenly Peter's preaching, instead of cowering in some room somewhere, he's now preaching to the masses and saying, this Jesus, (laughs) he's the one. How come so? How? What was the turnaround? Well, I tell you this, it was not the strength of man. It was the action of the Holy Spirit working in a human heart. That is what brought about the transformation. What we do and what they had sensibly done is place themselves on the altar of God in that upper room because Jesus had given them instruction and they followed it. Wait until I pour out my spirit on you. And sometimes we've got a church, we have to wait. We have to wait. We need time to wait. And why? Because the heart has, has taken a beating. I'll be honest with you, sometimes that's how it feels. Again, the hope is pretty distant. That's the experience that we can have in this life. How do we regain that place? We wait for God to pour out his Holy Spirit fresh. We offer up our hearts afresh. We say, God... Forgive me for unbelief, for cynicism. Forgive me where my heart's gotten hard or cynical. Come, Lord, change this heart so it beats again with the love of God. Let's uh, pray together. I want you to stand for a moment if you feel able. You don't have to stand if if, uh, your legs don't allow. (laughs) Let's just stand together. We're going to pray. I just want us to adopt a posture. I, I, I tell you this, posture is important. That's another sermon. But posture is important. So we can just hold our hands out to God with the expectation of faith that God can do something and will do something if we offer him our hearts afresh. 
Now, I can't tell what you're doing, right? So I don't know, you've got your hands out, but I don't know where your heart is at. You know that, God knows it, okay? So it's between you and God, but you can hold your hands out. And I just trust that you'll do this by faith and just allow the Holy Spirit to breathe in you afresh through his Holy Spirit and bring such a love. There's a, there's a love already in this church, I'm telling you. <laughs> I know it, I sense it every time I walk in here. There's a grace in this place, there's a love in this place, and you're a very dear people to God. So, Father, would you come? You know our hearts, Lord. You know when we've suffered. And for all those of you who have suffered and are suffering right now, I just want to pray over you. Lord, would you come and minister to the suffering? Like the widow, you're the just judge, the one who cares deeply, says, I'm coming to you. I'm, minister, I'm going to minister my love to you. And I minister my love to you. And it may seem unjust to you. And it may seem unfair. But God says, I love you. And in this life, I've, I want to tell you, although you have trouble, have faith in me because I've overcome the world. Lord, I thank you that you've overcome. And I pray you just minister fresh grace and love into the hearts of the suffering. For those of us, maybe we're just in a different place. And we're like, wow, just, you know... I feel like I'm going great guns with God. But Lord, nevertheless, fresh impartation of your love into our hearts. Just so we don't become proud. We don't become uh, so easily tripped up by our own success relative in this life. Lord, just keep us in a place humble before you where we love you with all of our heart. And Father, where hearts, anyone who's cold of heart, Anybody whose affections have gotten drawn off into other things. Father, I pray you would break strongholds of other affections. Return to your first love. Return to your first love. Don't wait another day, but return to your first love. Love him with all your heart. What does that look like for you? Dear Lord, I pray for a grace to run after you with our whole heart, to love you with our whole heart in the name of Jesus. We might become a people wholehearted for you. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Bless you. I'll hand you back to Dan. Thank you for having us.